In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I always love our reading from Luke 4 uh, because we get a picture of Jesus' first sermon. And so here in his first sermon, actually his first public words in the Gospel of Luke, they result in his hometown neighbors wanting to throw him off a cliff. Right? How's that for a first call? How's that for a first sermon? Thankfully, you all have not tried to throw me off a cliff yet. But more to the point out of this reading, Jesus' message actually starts off quite well. Right? So our gospel reading begins right in the middle of Jesus' sermon. So before today's text, which was the gospel we read last week, Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and the sermon begins with Jesus reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after reading this passage, Jesus tells the congregation, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is claiming to be God's anointed. In Hebrew, that is the word Messiah. The message, a paraphrased translation of the Bible, suggests that we should hear in this reading, this is God's year to act. This piece of Isaiah is pure hope. The day when humble sinners, oppressed outcasts, all who cry out to the Lord will finally have their place in God's kingdom. And it's not just the economically poor, but it's all who are marginalized. It's all who are outcasts from fellowship with other people. It's all who are seen as losers in this world. It's sinners who know they can't save themselves. God has come to be their savior. He has remembered the ones forgotten by the world. The congregation hears this and they marvel at what Jesus is claiming. They were quite pleased, actually. They had already heard of his previous miracles in other neighboring small towns. And so verse 13 in Luke 4 tells us that there was a report spreading about him throughout all the country. Right? The congregation anticipated his words. They anticipated the great miracles he would perform for them. Heck, he came home to his hometown. Imagine what kind of miracles he was going to do for all of them. Verse 23 tells us then that Jesus began his sermon and all spoke well of him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. The phrase gracious words might be better translated as words of grace. The words of grace that came from his mouth amazed them. And they were thrilled about it. Jesus was preaching grace. In that little rural congregation, all was well. And what better news is there for them to hear than to hear that God has come to heal you, to set you free, to assure you of his favor. It's the kind of sermon we all look forward to on Christmas Eve or Easter morning. It overflows with hope and positivity. And so there was optimism in that little congregation. If Jesus had been doing great things all over the countryside, how much more will he perform great wonders for his very own people, the people he grew up with? If Jesus has grace to announce, then how much more grace will he have for his neighbors? If you know Jesus, though, 
you might anticipate that things were about to turn in another direction. Jesus is never the kind of preacher to leave well enough alone. It's not the kind of preacher to be satisfied with making the congregation happy, shaking everyone's hand at the end of the service. No, rather, Jesus makes a move in his sermon where he implies that he is, in fact, on earth to bring good news to the poor. But the definition of what exactly makes up that poor is far broader than the congregation would assume. Just as through Elijah, God demonstrated his mercy and love and power to people outside of Israel, so Jesus tells people of his little hometown, it's actually not just about you. The words of grace that so please their ears are the words of grace that are going to please the ears of all people. The coming Messiah has something to say to a far wider audience than little Nazareth could wrap its head around. And of course, that's good news for us. None of us are Jews from Galilee. And so Jesus' words here are pure grace for us. And we think, yes, that's right. God's grace is for us Gentiles. Great sermon, Jesus. Thank you. Have a nice week. But, and there's always a but in the Gospels, the, gospel, the people who hear Jesus' words, they rage against him. The Greek here says that the congregation was filled with wrath. They have violent intentions, intentions to kill him. Right? And some people read this and think that the congregation is so angry because they're prejudiced or they're racist. They don't want God's grace for the Gentiles because Gentiles are unwashed pagans. But I think we can see that there is actually more to their anger in this passage. I don't think they're irrational people. I don't think the congregation's irrational. Right? They're not going to try to throw Jesus off a cliff just because he said something good about Gentiles. No, I think they're mad because Jesus was directly calling out their sinfulness. Notice Jesus' allusions here to Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha were prophets at a time in Israel's history when there were very few faithful people left. The king of Israel at that time and most of the people had forgotten the Lord and they were worshiping idols. First Kings says Ahab, the king in Elijah's day, did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so inciting Elijah's miracles, Jesus is accusing the people of his own hometown. He's telling his neighbors, the people he grew up playing with and working with, that God is going to act for Gentiles, for outsiders, because the chosen people of God were not being faithful to the Lord. They were just like the Baal worshipers in the time of Elijah under King Ahab. And so Jesus is calling them to repent. And Jesus' message here in the Gospel of Luke is not a new message. It's a message we've seen before. It's the same message that John the Baptist in just the previous chapter gave to the people. He called them broods of vipers. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John said that, if they don't faithfully serve the Lord, if they don't change their ways, that God's going to raise up children for Abraham out of rocks. Jesus does preach words of grace. But what we see over and over in the Gospels is that Jesus is also not afraid to call sin, sin. Now this is Jesus among his very own people. And he knows their heart. And as a people, he knows that they're exactly what John the Baptist calls them a brood of vipers. 
And so as we read this gospel text, it's so easy to think that somehow the people of Jesus' hometown are different from us. So before we jump to the sweet, pleasing words of grace in Jesus' sermon, we must always confront the fact that first, in some ways, we're like the people of Nazareth. We're like the people in Jesus' hometown. We can be like the ones filled with wrath, the ones ready to push the Messiah off a cliff, the ones who were rightly called out for their faithlessness. Yes, Jesus knows the thoughts and the imaginations of our hearts just as well as he knew the thoughts of the hearts of the people in Nazareth. Because the thoughts of our hearts, to paraphrase the book of Genesis, are filled with evil without stopping. Our confession as Lutherans is that we're born with sin, that is, without the fear and without the trust of God. Psalm 94 tells us God knows every person's thought, so there's no hiding our lack of faith from Christ. As sinners, then, how quick we are to be like the original audience of Jesus' first sermon. We come to think so easily that it's only the words of grace we need to hear. That we come to church for those words of grace and that's it. But we forget that our lives as Christians are filled with daily repentance. They're filled with daily dying to our sins, precisely so that we might daily rise with Christ. In the time of Epiphany, it's traditional to look at Luke chapter 2 in the words of the prophet Simeon when the infant Jesus was presented in the temple. Simeon says, This child, Christ, is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And these words of Simeon are not locked in history, but they apply to us this morning. Jesus reveals the inner thoughts of our hearts. He preaches to us, even this morning, some hard facts. We're not always faithful. We fail to act in love. We fail to act in the best interest of others. We're tempted to hoard our money, hoard our resources, hoard our possessions. We set up idols to serve rather than the living God. We lie, we accept dishonest gain, we find pleasure in the downfall of our neighbors, we fail to live for the glory of God. Yes, in fact, this means that we are the losers in this world, the unfortunate wretches who so desperately need to hear the good news of the Messiah. Yes, we're the angry ones who, when confronted with our sin, might readily just push Jesus off a cliff and say, I don't need you. But here's the good news. Although we seek to push Jesus off a cliff in our life so often, in our baptisms, Jesus has in fact pushed us off a cliff. That cliff, however, was not the side of a bluff in Galilee. Rather, it was on a hill that was called Golgotha. It's not a wrath-filled mob that brings us to this cliff, but it's a loving and merciful God, a loving God who wants good for us. Yes, God has killed our old natures, and he's raised us to new life with his son. He has brought us good news. He has released us, us, the captives of sin and death, and he has given us love and life. He has given us sight to see his goodness. He has freed us from the oppression of sin. And he has given us the best news of all. This year, in fact, this very morning, because of Jesus Christ, because of the Messiah from Nazareth, you, a sinful wretch, a person full of wrath, a person 
who would hate Christ in your sinfulness, you have actually found favor with God. He loves you. He wants good for you. He always forgives you. Amen.